This is Asha Voices. I'm JD Gray. As today's guests share, when aphasia resulting from a brain injury or neurodegenerative disease causes someone to lose access to language, the experience can be isolating, frustrating, and demoralizing. On the podcast, we explore the ways conversation can play a role in fighting social isolation and provide an important place for community and connection in the lives of people with aphasia. First, we hear from the host of the Brain Friends podcast, SLP Dave Trina Celeste Gadsen and Angie Cawthorn. Angie is a stroke survivor and an advocate for others with the language disorder. I just want to be the person that the person that's having a stroke right now finds when they start their journey of trying to find where they belong. You belong with me. Come on. We discuss healthcare disparities and the role of conversation groups, like the Black American Aphasia Conversation Group. Later in the episode, we're joined by poet and founding member of the Black American Aphasia Conversation Group, Michael Obelomia. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's online conference, Keys to a Successful SLP Private Practice. This continuing education opportunity begins September 6th. Save $50 when you register by July 26th. Learn more at on.asha.org slash private practice 23. Joining me are the hosts of the Brain Friends podcast, Dave Trina, Celeste Gadsen, and Angie Cawthorn. On the podcast, the duo discusses, as the description reads, quote, all things aphasia, language recovery, and community, end quote. Celeste is an SLP and a neuroscientist. She works at the Georgetown University Medical Center Department of Rehabilitation Medicine. You may remember previously hearing Celeste on this podcast discussing healthcare disparities in 2021. Angie is a stroke survivor and a person with aphasia. She's an advocate on behalf of those with aphasia, including her work as co-founder and president of the Aphasia Research Collaboration Hub. In our conversation, Celeste emphasized the importance of person-centered care when thinking of health disparities and aphasia. She said that African-American stroke survivors are twice as likely to have recurrent stroke, often have poorer functional outcomes as a result of a stroke, and she pointed to higher health care costs as well. Where we're jumping into the conversation, Angie shares her personal experience as a stroke survivor and person with aphasia. My personal experience would be just having the uh, disorder and it, it comes on so suddenly is it's the suddenness for me. And it um, it robs you of things that you didn't know were up for grabs and as simple as saying goodnight to my husband or calling my cat, the small things are the things that actually wind up uh, adding up to be the most. Um, and it just really just, like I said, it just takes things from you so suddenly that you didn't know could be taken. Yeah, that sounds very difficult. Can you tell me a little bit about the emotional side of that? It is devastating. It hurts. It is uh, I, demoralizing is the word that most comes to mind. And right now I'm uh, post-stroke six years. So I've uh, done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of research and I, I can actually get a sentence out. But it is um, it makes you not want to try anymore because um, after you keep knocking on the door and it doesn't work out. No one answers. You know what I mean? How many times do you go 
go back and just keep trying. Sometimes you just say, you know what, I'm not trying anymore because quite frankly, it really hurts at a different level. And it's demoralizing and people look at you like um, you, um, uh, the only word that's coming to word is, is, is dumb, but people look at you, they don't treat you like you are you have your intelligence. They People judge you by not what you can do, but what you can prove you can do. And with aphasia, I can't approve, I can't prove that I'm smart. I can't prove that I can talk, that I have a, a good grasp on the, on the English language. So when you can't prove it, uh, people uh, is disparaging and they hurt your feelings. And they don't really even mean to, uh, but they discard you in a way that you're um, you're not used to. And because you were part of the community of regular speaking people, and now you're not, and you don't even know how you got. You know, it's so it's the suddenness, honestly, in the way again, people treat you and the things that you feel, the constraints that we put on ourselves is also an issue in that, you know, I want to talk uh, faster and better and say the words I want to say, not only the words that are available to me. And I have to um, craft a sentence every time just to get a simple point across. And um, it can be uh, demoralizing, it can be hurtful, and also exhausting. Can we talk about exhausting? (laughs) Tell me about exhausting. Yeah, it's uh, because you're trying to uh, deviate and you just kind of want to, you want your old self back in a a way, and uh, cognitive issues are not seen. They're invisible to anyone else. And, um, you know, um, it's hard to uh, explain that to people when you can actually talk like I can when I'm 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 mild, obviously. But, you know, once I get tired, it's game over, you know. This episode, we're talking about kind of the role of conversation in the lives of people with aphasia and whether that's through conversation groups as a part of recovery or as your podcast, Brain Friends. And you have a, an episode called What About Your Friends? You talk about your relationships. Yeah. And the relationships that, that come out of it, you know, and some of them get stronger and some of them get weaker because not because they don't care, or they don't love you anymore, but they really just don't know what to do. And because you're not as funny as you used to be, you, you don't have your quick comebacks, uh, things you can't explain. And I'm getting frustrated because I want to say, remember that time you bop bop and now I can't, I can't bop bop. I can't bip bip. I can't do none of them. <laughs> none of the bips or bops are working in plates. So then you, I feel bad and you see, I feel bad. So now you feel bad. Now it's, it's deteriorating very quickly. The visit that you said, I'm going to go see my friend because she's had a stroke and now you're leaving feeling bad. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm crying when you leave. You know what I mean? And it just changed and everybody can't, everybody's not, every relationship is not strong enough to make that walk. And some people lean in and some people lean out. So, but the conversations that we have to have with each other even when my communication is not at a hundred percent, that's when you have the devices. That's just when you 
This is why therapy is important and those conversation groups like the Black American Aphasian Conversation Group is so important because it gives people with aphasia the opportunity to not be the only one. It's also insanely tough to have a disorder that no one has heard of. I got to deal with people telling them I'm not contagious. I mean, (laughs) you got to start from the beginning (laughs) because it's, well, what's that? And now I'm trying to explain, well, how'd you get that? Oh, I was from the stroke. Oh, okay. So um, it's a lot. It really is. It really is. And it's absolutely exhausting. Celeste, Andrew just mentioned these conversation groups. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about these. Yeah, I was feeling like I was playing double dutch. I was ready to to jump in. Um, I think that the thing about the conversation group that's so important, especially for speech language pathologists, is recognizing that our role is to help prepare individuals for these types of conversational exchanges. Oftentimes, therapy can be done in silos or working on very impairment-based tasks, word retrieval. But I think that if we can start to understand that getting these individuals back to at least, you know, communicating with friends and family, even if it's through script training, is important. You know, Angie mentioned how important the Black aphasia group was for seeing people, other people with aphasia that looked like her. But it was also really important for me, given that Black speech language pathologists only make up 3% of the profession to log in and see all of these survivors that also look like me. And for many of them, me being the first Black SLP that they've seen. The conversation group is not only beneficial for the survivors, but also for the researchers and the scientists and the professors and everyone recognizing that this thing called aphasia takes a village in recovery and speech language pathologists play a major role in helping these individuals be able to communicate with friends and family. There's an article published on the Ashleader website and the trio from the Gray Matter Lab at San Francisco State University. They write about hosting a conversation group for black adults with aphasia. The article is titled Creating a Safe Space for Black Adults with Aphasia. And in it, this is a quote from the authors. They write, quote, When black people do join aphasia groups, they're typically in the minority, potentially hindering their sense of belonging and exacerbating feelings of isolation, end quote. And then they point to research saying that black people are more likely to have strokes and less likely to receive rehabilitation. Um, Right. You know, you said something that I think is so important, which is that when black people join these groups, they're often the minority. And even though I'm not familiar with the research in regards to, you know, do black people have more or higher rates of aphasia, we do know that they have higher rates of stroke. And so in these spaces, if, you know, if they don't have physician race concordance, their practitioners aren't looking like them, you know, they join these groups and they're not looking like them. They're not able to communicate with their friends and family. It really breeds this isolation and contributes to some of the the feelings that the individuals may be feeling by being the only one. Right. So I have a problem. I can't talk well. I go to a group. I don't feel like I belong there. I'm trying to connect, reconnect with my family. That's weird. So I, I joined this support group and 
I hope that there is something that I can get from that. But with the Black Aphasian group, it allowed me to not code switch, to relax and just be me. And, you know, um, and the reason when I first met Dr. Celeste in that group and I was like, is that a, it was like a unicorn. I'm like, is that a black SLP? Let me call her. And so that's, which is how Brain Friends even came about. But it was just the opportunity to speak freely amongst people that know, you know, um, the difference between kale and collard greens. I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) (laughs) Lady, we got to behave on this. (laughs) See, that's when I know I'm in trouble. Anytime I get the lady. (laughs) Uh, You do have a wonderful dynamic and that's on the podcast as well. And so can you talk a little bit about what your goal is when you started the podcast, what you wanted to create a space for? Dr. Celeste? Yeah, I for me, my goal was I was just, I was honestly feeling very isolated in research. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the type of research that I do and not only focusing on health disparities, but also health-related quality of life. And, you know, centering recovery in these individuals and social support. And I just felt isolated. I felt like, you know, my my ideas weren't getting funded. Manuscripts weren't getting accepted. And I was having this thing of my background is as a clinical practitioner to where I wasn't feeling like I was connecting with the people who had brought me to the PhD, who had brought me to this space. And so... It was a passion project, honestly. When I started talking with Angie, she gave me this joy and confirmed for me that I was in the right place, that I was doing this work, and that even if the ideas weren't getting funded or I wasn't getting the accolades from the powers that be, that there were these group of people who wanted me to keep going and thought that what I was doing, they needed it. And so- We needed it. We need you. (laughs) <laughs> and so our conversations, we were, we would just talk and it would just be so light and it would remind me of why I even got into the field. And it just gave me all of these thoughts and possibilities. And I just said, Hey, can I record some of these? And, you know, our goal was just to do 10 episodes and now we're in season two, season two, uh, how many, over 41 countries. Yeah. And it, it really has just been a passion project that I knew I needed, but I didn't know that everyone else needed it as well. And Angie, you bring energy to the podcast. And I think it was the first episode, Celeste, you say that you're surprised that you didn't have a background in uh, radio production, journalism, media, <laughs> something like that. It, can you tell me a little bit, what do you get from participating in the podcast? Oh, What's goodness. it mean for you? It means I get to be the voice that I was looking for when I first started my journey with aphasia. It's one thing to want to uh, speak better and do better, but it's you're, you're searching. And I just want to be the person that the person that's having a stroke right now finds when they start their journey of 
trying to find where they belong. You belong with me. Come on. There's plenty of space. You know what I mean? Come on, be a brain friend. And the Brain Friends podcast gave me the opportunity to work on my communication, to get uh, more confidence, to be braver. Because if you are in the room with Dr. Celeste, you're going to have to be brave. You're going to have to be brave now. She is not, this is not for the weak. (laughs) She's about to say, lady, not brave. (laughs) But I think it's, um, it really just gave me the opportunity to, because uh, the Lord has blessed me with the opportunity to speak better. I do not take this uh, opportunity. Every time I open my mouth, I don't know if the next word is going to come. So I don't take it for granted. And I just want to reach out to as many people as I can to let them know that there is a space for them and that better speech is attainable. Near the end of our conversation, Celeste re-emphasized the importance of person-centered care. One of the things that I wish practitioners know or, or did more when working with Black stroke survivors is one, to consider their lived experiences as part of stroke recovery, uh, two, to ask them what they want, what their goals are, and really make care patient-centered given environmental factors and other disparities that they face. And then the last thing that I really, really want us to do better in in aphasia research is report race and have more controlled sample sizes that are representative of the demographics in the U.S. And I think that that could really help move aphasia research forward and consider all individuals. Celeste pointed to a 2022 article published in the American Journal of Speech-Language Pathology that said race and ethnicity were reported less than 30% in aphasia treatment studies between 2009 and 2019. We'll put a link to that article on the blog post for this episode. And while you're on this episode's blog post, find the link to the Brain Friends archive where you can hear many conversations Angie and Celeste have on subjects related to aphasia, such as mental health, advocacy, neuroplasticity, and so much more. And I would also say too, you know, one thing that's so unique about the Brain Friends podcast is that it really is for everyone, survivors with aphasia, caregivers, uh, speech language pathologists, scientists, uh, students and researchers. So a lot of researchers, a lot of the nuggets that we share. And, you know, even Angie, when she talks about her experience, I think is so beneficial for training practitioners um, in dealing and working with survivors with aphasia. And then also for researchers, you know, understanding, you know, what some of the barriers are when it comes to research and, and supporting these individuals. And so, that's one of the things that that I would like people to know is that it really is a space for all neuro nerds to talk about culture, community, and all things aphasia. Aphasia. Yes, girl. <laughs> wonderful. Well, Angie, Celeste, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having us. And we are, are happy that you are a brain friend. Yes. <laughs> brain <too>. friends. Bye. <laughs> When we come back, we hear from founding member of the Black American Aphasia Conversation Group, Michael Obelomia. 
Super Fresh Voices comes from Ash's online conference, Keys to a Successful SLP Private Practice. From September 6th through 18th, this continuing education opportunity will give you essential information and actionable strategies for starting or expanding your SLP private practice. You can earn up to 2.4 Ash's CEUs. Save $50 when you register by July 26th. Learn more at on.ash.org slash private practice 23. Every other week, the Black American Aphasia Conversation Group provides a space specifically for Black people with aphasia to talk openly about their experiences. Members log in to the virtual conversation group from throughout the country. We just heard Angie say the group allowed her to, quote, not code switch, to relax, and just be me, end quote. On its webpage, located on the National Aphasia Association website, it reads, quote, This diverse, inclusive, aphasia-friendly group will discuss the unique challenges and gifts we share due to our experiences with disability and race. It is open to all who support its mission of creating an emotional refuge for black persons living with aphasia, end quote. At the heart of this group is Michael Obelomia. Michael's a founding member of the group. He's a stroke survivor and an advocate for those living with aphasia. And as we discuss, he's also a poet. I spoke with Michael by phone earlier this month, and he told me about the day in 2016 when a stroke left him with aphasia. I mean, right then, I worked at um, Cambridge Friends School, the assistant head. And I, I was supposed to be the assistant head of the school every day. I... I fell down with a stroke on a Saturday, 21 of May, and I, all I could think about was about that I had to go to school on Monday to Washington, D.C. by the eighth graders with, with a volunteer. And all I could think about was I said, oh, my God, I'm going to sing on Monday. It's 48 hours away. i got to get home. So I was trying so hard to say anything. I had the stroke. I know what it was, but I had a stroke. And my wife, my beloved wife, Carolyn, she said, um, talk to me. I'd say, may I have a pencil tomorrow? She said, what? May I pencil tomorrow? I don't understand you say that. May I pencil tomorrow? And what I was saying over and over and over, because I'm going back to, uh, D.C. at 48 hours, I was saying, hello, Carolyn, when can I work in 48 hours? What I heard was, can I please pencil tomorrow? And I was frustrated. I started singing, tomorrow, I love you, tomorrow, I love you. She, she, she said, quiet down. I was so frustrated, but I started laughing a little bit. And Chris Mackle, my best friend, who's 43 years old, he's laughing. He said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. Michael mentioned his feelings of frustration throughout our conversation, like his time recovering from the stroke at a rehabilitation center. I was very frustrated, very angry, very just, just imprisoned. That everywhere I was in jail. I was in Spalding Rehabilitation in Charleston, Massachusetts, which is beautiful absolutely beautiful place. It's gorgeous. But I was angry and frustrated with my prison. So with that, I just tried to do some way to make them feel better. And God bless us. God, God bless us. All my friends came by, came by over probably about over 200 people 
probably over 200 people came to see me. It was incredible. Language is a big part of Michael's life. He's a former English teacher. Michael's a poet. His book of poems is titled Finding My Words. About the book, former U.S. Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, who also has aphasia, is quoted as saying, quote, aphasia changes our relationship to words, as both Michael and I know too well. And yet, a changed relationship is not a broken one, end quote. I read that quote to Michael. He called her his heroine. The day before I spoke with Michael, he read from Finding My Words to a gathering at a bookstore called the Vermont Bookshop, located in Middlebury, Vermont, the home of his alma mater. And it was wonderful. I mean, it was, it was spectacular. It was an unbelievable morning at 10 a.m., very cool, air-conditioned, quiet, uh, for 20 people there. And I read from Finding My Words. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. Uh, most of them very intimate, close friends, and it was beautiful. For 45 minutes, I talked about finding my words. And it was wonderful because there's always the frustrating words from finding my words. All the words were, were jumbled. They were fumbled. They cursed me all the time. Them. It was, I'd say, beautiful things, but in reality, they hurt me. Um, as I talk, I fumble myself. Um, my wife, Carolyn, a professor at Rhode Island College, she always corrects me. She says, you know this word? Do you mean that? Is that what you want to say? And, of course, I'm, I'm frustrated as hell because I was a teacher myself at Roxbury Latin and Perkium in school. I taught. I taught English. I taught um, Hamlet. I taught um, these things about Hamlet and Great Gatsby and Huckleberry Finn, and Streetcar Called Desire. Uh, I called Walt Whitman. I, I, I met um, Emily Dickinson, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Herman Melville. I, I had them. I read this stuff. I love that stuff. But it gets jumbled from my mind. With aphasia, I have every exact or point word I want to say, but I open my mouth, and I fumble, jumble, do everything. It frustrates, I'm as frustrated as hell watching the mistakes I have all the time trying to save the aphasia. Michael told me about being a part of the Black American Aphasia Conversation Group and the many laughs he shares with its participants. Whether they're discussing how to navigate the healthcare system or telling stories from their lives, the group shows up for each other. 10 participants, 12 participants, 19 participants will talk about aphasia, and we laugh and smile. Uh, we do talk about real ideas. We talk about what's going on, we're laughing and think it's funny, but we'll say, hey, what can I do about this? And we hear about medical, uh, where the physical therapy is, or the speech therapy might be, or something like that, and can say, I don't know, how, how, do, I, how do I find them? And they're very frustrated. They don't know what to say, or they're frustrated, or they're frustrated. They said, how, how, how can I do that? How can I find that? And we talk about that. It's clear from talking with Michael that he's dedicated to his advocacy on behalf of stroke survivors and those with aphasia. Of course, he helped to start the Black American Aphasia Conversation Group, but he does more than that. For example, he participated in Stroke Across America, 
cross-country bike ride raising awareness for stroke survivors. On the website for the American Heart Association Eastern States, Michael wrote about his advocacy, and he shared this poem, quote, struggling with pain, stroke, I lost my speech and words. Now I advocate. What, 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 what would I say if I had aphasia easier? What could I do if I thought about it, if I studied it? I mean, ugh, it's so frustrating, so so angry, so disappointing, um, so depressing at times. But every day I get up, I, I, I wake up, I can thank God if I, I made it, made it, I can do it now. I try now, I did 25 push-ups and 100 sit-ups and move on now move on it every day michael thank you so much for your time today thank you so much find the link to michael's poetry and information about the black american aphasia conversation group on the blog post for this episode find links to episodes about public health and csd on the blog as well that's at on.asha.org slash podcast asha voices is produced by the american speech language hearing association and comes from the team behind the asha leader magazine support for asha voices comes from asha's online conference keys to a successful slp private practice and it begins september 6th save 50 dollars when you register by july 26th learn more at on.asha.org slash private practice 23. i'm jd gray and this is asha voices